Amen. Amen. We're wrapping up our series that led us into Advent and through Advent, uh, this God with us, this idea that wherever we are, He is with us. I want to say thank you to our worship team for leading us this morning, and uh, it was a little different, but I really enjoyed hearing your voices and just the acoustic guitar, uh, and I'm thankful for all, everyone who who pitched in to make sure we could have church today for our trustees for shoveling walks and for ushers and greeters and people jumping in and filling, filling holes uh, out in the lobby and down in the Kids Way hallway, and I'm thankful for you for being here, and uh, it's good. It's good to be here today together. I wanted to open with uh, a passage of scripture that sort of jumped off the page at me this past week. It comes from Ephesians chapter 5, and I, I just read a chapter of the New Testament and a chapter of the Old Testament uh, every day and, and started back a while ago reading in the message translation. Sometimes switching translations brings things to life in a new way. And uh, I shared this passage because it just loved the way it really resonated at a deep level of Ephesians chapter 5 verses 1 and 2 and, and the way that that is worded in that translation says, mostly what God does is love you. Keep company with him and learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious, but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us. Love like that. And uh, those words resonated with me, the freshness, the, the, the new wording, and the idea that mostly what God does is love us. He does a lot of other things, and he does everything he does exceedingly well. But the main activity of God is to love us. And as we have been focused on this season of Advent, on the idea that God came with, to be with us, to be present among us physically in this world, he did that as an expression of his love. He did that in order to love us. And he is with you to love you. And I, it must have resonated with other people because it was shared 11 times and hundreds of people saw it and Facebook tracks all that. And I, I only mention that because the typical verse might get shared once or two times. But when something gets shared about more than five or six, I know that it resonated with people. And it reminded me that God loves it when we like him and he really loves it when we share him. When we share what he is doing in our lives with others, when we share the good news, when we share what he has done in our lives with other people, and so that they have something tangible that they can believe in because you have shared your faith. So I want to encourage you as, as you consider your New Year's resolutions, as you consider what the next year looks like, uh, to make it a priority to share what God is doing in your life with those around you, with those that come across your path, with those that you have influence over. As we wrap up the series, and some of you have been here for every message, others of you have maybe missed one or two, we started with this idea from Isaiah chapter 2 that the light was coming into the darkness, that God was not content to shine his light towards the darkness, towards this dark and broken world from his heavenly perch. He came, he entered into our dark and broken world and illuminated it with his presence, that light came into the darkness, and therefore we are to take that light 
to the world around us, that there is darkness in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in the places that we go, and we can be bearers of that light. We can be mirrors of God's light to reflect it and to illuminate the darkness of other people's lives. Then in the second week, we asked the question, what do you need? Jesus is declared to be a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, and a prince of peace. And in those four titles, we find every need that we can bring to him met. So what do you need? What did you need this Christmas? What do you need? Are you in need of guidance? Are you in need of wise counsel? Are you in need of a mighty God to be strong for you and on your behalf? Are you in need of eternity? Are you outside of God's plan for eternity right now? Are you in need of salvation? He is your eternal Father. Are you in need of a Prince of Peace? And then last week we looked at the idea of the kingdom coming, the order of authority of God, his rule and reign coming to earth through the person of Jesus Christ, and that of the increase of that government and peace, there would be no end. And so if it's not increasing in your life, if his reign and rule and his peace, his shalom, his wholeness is not increasing in your life, then the question would be, why not? And where can we surrender? Where can we invite God to be a part of an area of our life that he's not currently a part of because we have kept him out? Today we're focusing on the idea that God is still with us. A few of my friends have indicated they've already taken down their tree and put everything away. That's not the case at our house. We start early and we stay up late as far as the Christmas decorations go. But as we put the Christmas decorations away, as we shift our thoughts to the new year, as we move on from Christmas, it's important to understand that he's still with us, that he is still Emmanuel, that he is still among us. He's present in our lives. And so I want to start today with Isaiah 9-7, where we've been for this whole series in Isaiah chapter 9. It's on page 1072 if you need to open up one of those hardcover Bibles. And then we'll look at a passage from the New Testament. And then we'll, we'll sort of look at the arc of Scripture, at the arc of God's activity among human beings, and see how constant His presence is and has been and will be. In Isaiah 9, 7, we read these words, and we focused on them last week, that of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end, that he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And so it's important to understand that, that this phrase, he will reign, He will rule. That word reign and the word kingdom are linked. They're essentially the same word. It's one's the noun form and one's the verb verb form. That he's going to reign from now on and forever. That the government, the kingdom, the order of authority of God is going to be on his shoulders. His reign, his rule, his dominion, his royal power is in the hands of Christ. It's placed squarely on this Savior that is sent to the world to Bring his rule, his dominion, his order, his authority into this place. And that the result of that, of his reign and rule coming into this world and into our lives individually, the the result of that is peace. It's shalom. 
its wholeness, its completeness, its harmony for us as individuals and for us corporately, in our families, in our churches, everywhere that his reign and rule is present and in authority, his peace accompanies it. Even if the circumstances look dark and cloudy, even if there's a snowstorm, even if there's a financial storm, even if there's a broken relationship, even if there's a health crisis, his reign and rule is present, his peace accompanies it. And we become a people that those outside of the reign and rule of God look at our circumstances, look at the peace that we have in the midst of those circumstances and say, I don't get it. How would you have such peace in the midst of such difficult circumstances? And that's our doorway. That's our opportunity. That's the, the opening that we need to share what he has done in our lives, to share that his reign and rule is, is increasing in our lives and therefore his peace is increasing through our lives, that he will establish and uphold, that he will be both the source and the sustaining force of his government and peace, that he will establish it in justice and righteousness, that it will be a divine justice and a divine righteousness, not like human justice, not like human righteousness, not like the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. Jesus came with a whole different brand of righteousness and he ushered in a whole different brand of righteousness that wasn't focused on the external but was focused on the internal that when what's inside changes everything from the outside starts to change it starts from the inside and works its way outward instead of trying to clean up the outside when the inside is rotten and vile and we're told that he appeared among us full of grace and truth, the grace of God and the truth of God perfectly intermingled together to become one in the person of Christ, full of the grace, the divine unmerited favor of God, full of the truth and justice of God, perfectly intermingled in the person of Christ. That's why the prophet could say, it is the zeal of the Lord that will accomplish this. It is the purpose and the passion of God that his people would not be separated from him forever that will accomplish this. It is the zeal of the Lord. It's not up to us, thank God. It is the zeal of the Lord that will accomplish this through us, through those who give themselves over to his reign and his rule, who experience his peace and take that peace into this world around them. And then we get to see in Luke's gospel, at the beginning of Luke's gospel, if you want to turn over there, it's page 1588, we see the culmination or the the prophecy fulfilled as the angel comes and visits Mary and says, you're going to be pregnant and you're going to have a child. And he starts to describe what that child is going to look like. He says in verse 32, as he describes this this coming Savior, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign forever over the house of Jacob. His kingdom will never end. It echoes that passage we've been studying for the last three or four weeks from Isaiah 9. It echoes the permanence. It echoes the the throne of David. It echoes the, the fulfillment of the prophecy that the coming king was going to be this Christ child that we have been celebrating. 
And in verse 33, you see the word reign and you see the word kingdom. And just like in Isaiah, those words are inextricably linked in the original Greek language that we see here in Luke. The, the word is basilia. It is a Greek word. We see reign being the verb form of that, that Jesus Christ will reign. He will have the dominion, the order, the authority of heaven in him, and he will establish a kingdom and that it will be in him and in his power. And so there's this perfect overlay of Luke 1 with Isaiah 9 and the prophecy being fulfilled. Just a few verses later, this phrase that, that when Mary asks, how's this going to happen? How's this going to be? In verse 35, it says, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. And that word stood out to both Heather and I as we were sitting in the Christmas Eve service here. And as, as Marlis and Ron were reading uh, through this narrative and this, this interchange, and like, overshadow, I wonder what that's all about. And so we looked it up and we had a great conversation and we found out that the word overshadow literally means to overwhelm and to surround. And that was the vehicle through which Christ came, the overshadowing of Mary. And it's a word that doesn't show up that often in the New Testament. We see it again in each of the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke at the Mount of Transfiguration. When Jesus, in the fullness of his glory, the only time that we see that taking place during his earthly ministry, where he takes Peter, James, and John up the Mount of Transfiguration, and they're told in each account of that, that the light and the glory of God enveloped them. It's the same Greek word as overshadow, that they were completely enveloped in light and, and in the glory, the Shekinah glory of God. And that pointed us forward to Revelation, where we're told that it's, it's the glory of God. It's a light that casts no shadow. Think about that for a minute. That if you were to stand any place in this room, each light will will hit you, but it will cast a shadow in one direction or another. So even though there are many lights, and even though you can be illuminated from all sides in a room like this, you will cast multiple shadows in various directions. But imagine the light of heaven, the light of heaven's glory in that moment on the Mount of Transfiguration in a light that completely enveloped them, that there is no shadow whatsoever. And then we thought about, well, James, you know, James says that, that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no shadow. And it all kind of fit together. And, and we walked away from that little conversation thinking, we ought to be praying to be overshadowed more often. I don't know that I've ever prayed to be overshadowed by the Lord's presence before, but we see it in the Christmas story. We see it in the Old Testament with the Shekinah glory of God appearing. We see it in the New Testament writers and and with James and John putting words to this image of light that casts no shadow. I can't wait for that. I can't wait for that. And so as we consider what that looks like, what it means to be overwhelmed and surrounded by, to be enveloped by this light of God that has come into the world, came first through Mary and and can come into our lives and illuminate our lives from the inside out. 
I was reminded of Jesus' last words in the Gospel of Matthew, in Matthew 28, 20. Very familiar passage to many of us, the Great Commission. All authority has been given to me, is how he begins that passage. All authority, the dominion, the royal power, same word, has been given to me. Therefore, go into all the world and make disciples. Make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth. I am with you always. And if that wasn't enough, in John's Gospels, chapter 14, 15, 16, he preaches and teaches to the disciples about the Holy Spirit. We spent some time this year talking about the Holy Spirit, learning about the Holy Spirit in a series called Supernatural. If you missed one of those messages, you want to go back and review one of those messages that are available on our website. You go to the media page, you can click on a little button that takes you to the sermon archives, and all of them are grouped by series, and you can listen through those again and hear the Savior teaching about the Holy Spirit that will be with us, that will empower us. And then we read in the book of Acts, He reminds them one more time, remember the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you on the day of Pentecost. And then it happens in Acts chapter 2. And then from that point forward, every major move forward, every major step forward is facilitated directly by the Holy Spirit as tangible evidence that God is going to be with them. In fact, my seminary professor said, you know, Acts is one of those books of the Bible that got a bad name. It got the wrong name. It's called the Acts of the Apostles, but it should really be the Acts of the Spirit because the Apostles didn't do anything that the Spirit didn't directly empower. And the next time you read through the book of Acts, I want to encourage you to watch for the Spirit's activity. Watch for the Spirit initiating. Watch for the Spirit delivering from prison, delivering from this, moving this forward, opening this door, empowering God's work to be done. And so our bottom line today is that God always was, always is, and always will be with his people. This is one rock-solid truth of Scripture. God always was, always is, and always will be with his people. Go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. And it was God's divine initiation that caused any of these things that are to be. Whether you're reading the Old Testament, whether you're reading the Gospels, whether you're reading the New Testament or church history in the time since then, God always was, always is, and always will be with his people. That's us. We are his people. We are those who bear his name. And he has promised that he will be with us. He was with Adam and Eve in the garden. We're told that he walked with them in the cool of the day. He was with Abel, spoke to Abel, and empowered Abel to give a good sacrifice, a righteous sacrifice. He was with Enoch. We're told in Scripture he walked with Enoch. So closely did Enoch walk with God that Enoch didn't even die. He was just taken away by God. He didn't experience the pain of death. 
He was with Noah as he built the ark. Noah found favor in God's sight, and God chose him and selected him and his family to be the human beings that survived the flood. And he was with Noah as he built an ark in the desert for almost a 100 years. God was with him every single day, every stroke of the hammer, as he looked foolish, felt foolish, endured the torment and the ridicule of people. You're building a massive boat in the desert. But God was with him. And God was with him as it rained. God was with him as the floodwaters increased and as the floodwaters receded. And as they walked into a new world, God was with him. God was with Abraham as he called him to leave his home, to leave all that was familiar, and to go to a place that God would show him. He didn't even tell him where he was going. He said, get up and go to a place I will show you. Start moving now. I'll let you know the destination a little bit later on. How many would just get up and go? Like Abraham did, but God was with him. God was with him in the land of Canaan. God was with him when he went down to Egypt. And God was with him when he came back to the land of Canaan. God was with Sarah in her barrenness as they awaited the promised child. He was with her in her barrenness, in the shame of her barrenness. And he was with her as a new mother in her very old age. God was with Hagar when she was cast away from her, her mistress's presence. God was with her in the, in the wilderness. And she gave him a new name, God who sees me, because he was with her. He saw her, and she recognized that he was with her. God was with Isaac on Mount Moriah in the ram caught in a thicket as he was about to follow through with the instructions to sacrifice his son, this child of promise, to the Lord. God was there among them. The voice said, stop, Abraham. Don't harm the child. A substitute has been provided. And God was with them. God was with Jacob when he left his homeland to go to his father's people and to find a wife. He was with him as he dreamed with his head on a stone. And he saw the angels ascending and descending from heaven with this indication that God's divine activity is with us. It is present among us. It does not ebb and flow. It is constant. And he was with Joseph. Sorry, he was with Jacob when he lived in this foreign land and when he earned his wives and paid the dowry for his wives. And as he made his way back, he was with him as he wrestled with God at Peniel. And as he encountered his brother coming back into Canaan, coming back into the promised land. God was with Joseph as he had his own dreams. And as his own brothers sold him into slavery, he was with Joseph as he served in the house of Potiphar. He was with Joseph when he was cast into prison, wrongly accused. He was with Joseph when he was restored and elevated above everybody in the kingdom of Egypt except for Pharaoh himself. He was with Joseph as he forgave his brothers and reconciled with them later on. And then he was with Moses He spared Moses' life from the king's edict. Moses was not thrown into the river to drown. He was thrown into the river to be delivered. And God was with him and guided him to the house of Pharaoh and was with him as he grew and was with him when he could no longer tolerate the treatment of his people. He was with him in the wilderness when he spent 40 years of his own in the wilderness. And then he was with him when he went back into Egypt and stood before Pharaoh and said, Let my people go. God 
was with him. And he was with the people of Israel as they did go. He was present in the plagues. He was present dividing the sea for their escape so that they could walk through the Red Sea on dry land. He was with them in the wilderness. He provided water from the rock. He provided food for them in the manna sent from heaven in the quail that came. God was with him, with them, as he gave them tangible expression of his presence. God was with Joshua and Caleb as they led the people over the Jordan River on dry ground once again, into the promised land. He was with them as they marched around Jericho and waited for the walls to fall. He was with them as they took the promised land, as they drove out the people and established the kingdom of God in that place for that time. He was with Gideon and Samson and Deborah and the other judges. God was with Naomi and Ruth coming from a foreign land into the the promised land. He was with Boaz when he took sight of Ruth and became her kinsman redeemer, which Pastor Keith preached so well about just a few weeks ago. And then he was with Eli and Samuel and the early prophets. He was with David when he stood before the giant Goliath and as he ran from Saul and then later from his own son. He was with him. He was for him. He's with Solomon and gave him supernatural wisdom, wisdom like this world has never seen, wisdom that is contained in the pages of Scripture. And as his influence grew and his wealth grew, God was with him. And God was with the kings that followed him, the good kings that drove away those who wanted to worship idols and established the reign and rule of God in that place. And then he was with Esther and Mordecai and Nehemiah and Ezra and the exiles in foreign lands, and the prophets as they spoke on God's behalf. He was with Elijah and Elisha and Jeremiah and Isaiah and Ezekiel. And then he was with Zechariah and Elizabeth when they heard that they would have a child in their old age and that that child, John the Baptist, would announce the kingdom, would announce the Messiah, would announce the Savior. He was with them. Zechariah had a vision in the temple. And he was with Joseph, and he was with Mary. And he was with us, literally among us, physically, personally, tangibly, here on earth, in the person of Jesus Christ. He was with the wise men who left their home in order to come and worship this king. And then he was with the poor and the broken and the cast off and the outsiders, and he healed them and he blessed them. And he showed them the way, showed them the way to love. He was literally here on this earth. And the only time that God has ever not been with one of his people was when Jesus himself went to the cross and he said, Why, God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you turned your face away? And the reason is because the sin of the world was placed upon God's one and only Son, and it was a sight that even God had to turn his face away from. Yet Jesus was faithful. And he was resurrected. And in the resurrection, God was with us in a tangible human form once again, and God was with the people 
that had followed him. He was with Peter on the beach as he restored him. Not once, not twice, but three times. Once for each time that Peter had denied him. He was with the two on the road to Emmaus. He was in the upper room. He was with Thomas, who doubted. He was with the disciples in the early church. He was with Paul and the apostles as they spread the good news and went on missionary journeys. He was with John when he was destitute on the Isle of Patmos and saw revelations that are recorded for us in the book of Revelation. He was with the early church fathers as they had church councils, as they settled on the canon of Scripture and what was divinely inspired. He was with the theologians who helped us to understand the Trinity and the atonement and the doctrines that are the solid foundation of our churches today. He was with the Reformation movement. He was with John Calvin and Martin Luther. And he was with the abolitionists as they overthrew slavery. And he's been with missionaries as the movement of God has spread throughout all the world. He's been with the wealthy and the poor. He's been with the insiders and the outsiders. He's been with the haves and the have-nots. And so the question is, are you one of his people? If our bottom line today is that God always was, always is, and always will be with his people, are you one of them? Are you one of them? Are you one of the whosoever? As Jesus spoke to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, and he said, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever, whosoever believes in him would not perish. Are you one of the whosoever? Because if you are, then he's with you. He's with you now, and he will always be with you. He's promised. Whether you have been or whether you will be aware of his presence or not, he's with you. His silence does not equate to his absence. Just because he's silent does not mean he's absent. He is with you. He is for you. His presence among you is constant. He's with you when you are afraid. He is with you when you feel alone. He's with you when you're tired, and he's with you when you feel overwhelmed. He's with you when you feel like a fool. He's with you when you doubt. He's with you when you feel like a failure or when you feel abandoned by everyone else. So he's with you when you've been betrayed. And he's with you when you've been falsely accused. He's with you when you have been treated unjustly, just like those of old, just like the stories we read from the Old Testament. He is with you. And he's with you when you step out in faith. He's with you to be your protection. He's with you to be your provision. He's with you to be your deliverer and your redeemer. He's with you to be your source of wisdom and revelation and inspiration and calling. And if you are one of God's people, he has been with you for every single moment of 2019. Think back over the year. Think back over the highs and the lows and everything in between. He's been with you. And he will be with you for every single moment of 2020. He's promised. He'll be there. He'll be with you. He'll be with us to love us, to guide us, and to show us how to love each other and those who are not among the people of God.
So next week we kick off a new series. I mentioned this last Sunday. It's a series titled, It's Time to Grow. It's time to grow. It's time to grow individually, and it's time to grow corporately. It's time to grow as families. It's time to grow as followers and disciples of Christ. And we'll be kicking off an annual theme titled 2020, a focus on discipleship. We're going to focus on discipleship for the whole year. We're going to focus on discipleship and encourage you to focus on your discipleship and the discipleship of someone else. To focus on your personal spiritual practices, to focus on growing as a disciple, and to focus on growing a disciple. Whether that means starting out just praying for someone specifically, faithfully, day after day to step into a discipleship relationship or to actively start a discipleship group, and lead somebody in the process and the path of discipleship. We're going to encourage you to grow and to focus on discipleship this year. And I believe, and I mentioned this last week, I believe that if you focus on discipleship for 365 days in a row in 2020, you will get closer to Jesus than you have ever been in your life. And 2020 will be the best year of your life. How could it not be? If you get closer to Jesus in the next year than you've ever been before, then I have a feeling, and I will go on record, that it will be the best year of your life. Focusing on Jesus, getting closer to Jesus than you have ever been before. And 2020 will be the best year of your life. And so today I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to open your heart anew to God's presence. Open your heart anew to the constancy of his presence. I remember the lowest point in my life as a follower of Christ was when I allowed doubt to creep in and I started to feel like God was there some of the times and not other times and I felt completely alone and abandoned by God. And it was that picture of Gethsemane of Jesus sweating great drops of blood And saying, God, if there is any way that this can pass, let it pass. Otherwise, not my will, but yours be done. He knew what he was facing. He knew that he was facing the only moment of the absence of the presence of God, and he was faithful. And in that moment, he opened the presence of God to each and every one of us for all time, and that he is the constant. He is the constant in our life. My faith is had ebbed and flowed. But when I saw that his presence in my life was absolutely constant because of Gethsemane, because he was willing to go to the cross on my behalf so that I wouldn't have to suffer the absence of God, it changed everything. Open your heart anew to God's presence. And over these next couple of days, ask God, is there anything you want me to leave behind? Is there anything that you want me to leave in 2019 and not take into 2020? Is there any doubt? Is there any habit? Is there any way of thinking that you want me to leave behind and be done with so that we can move into 2020 together? Ask God that. See what he shows you. See what he reveals to you. And I want to encourage you to make a fresh start. Make a fresh start with God. Make a fresh start with God in your personal spiritual practices. Make some commitments and start some habits. Start some habits. If you don't already read Scripture every day, I want to encourage you to start in the Gospel of Luke on January 1st. We'll talk a little bit more about this on 
next Sunday, but start in the Gospel of Luke. Read one chapter a day in the Gospel of Luke. Ask yourself, what does God say right now? What does the Word say? Write down a verse that stands out to you. And then write down a few observations. Why did that stand out? What have you seen in this chapter of Scripture, in this specific verse that you hadn't seen before? Write a few observations. Then write, how does that apply to my life? How does that apply to one of my relationships? How does that apply to something that I'm facing, some circumstance? And finally, write out a little prayer. Just start that habit on January 1st. Get up a little earlier. Stay up a little later. Carve it into your lunch break. Find a way to interact with God every single day and to think about it and reflect upon it and to pray about what his word might be saying to you as a disciple of Jesus Christ. As we close this message, as we close this service, I want to encourage you to respond in faith, to respond in faith to God's word today, to ask him, who do I need to share this with? What have you said to me specifically? Is there some response that's appropriate right now? And then to step forward in faith in that. You can come to an altar. If you come to these two center altars, we'll take that as an indication that you would like to pray alone. If you come to one of the outside altars, myself or one of the members of our prayer team, uh, we're a little light on staff this morning, so if you see somebody praying down here and nobody goes to pray with them, go pray with them. Just say, how can I pray for you? And say a word of prayer over them. Or you can make an altar where you're seated, and you can ask God, what are you saying to me right now? And what is my response? And then be open to whatever he might say. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for your presence. We're so thankful for the constancy of your presence. That you are with us. That you are for us. That you delight in us. And you desire for us to take your presence among us and within us to those who don't experience it. May we grow individually. May we grow corporately as we take your presence into a world that desperately, desperately needs it. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray.